There it is. Thank you, guys. So imagine two people who go through the exact same situation. So, for instance, two people who were bullied in exactly the same way. One becomes angry and bullies others. The other person becomes a person full of empathy, compassion, who heroically protects and empowers the weak. So two people are abused, and one of them becomes an abuser of other people's. The other courageously tells his story so that others who feel isolated and alone can have hope. Two people fail, and one person embraces the failure and blames others, fills with resentment, and determines that the rest of the life they're going to play it safe because it's too big of a risk. The other one celebrates the effort, learns from it, finds courage, and tries again. Two people have a hard upbringing, maybe a brother and a sister. One continues the thinkings and the patterns that represents generations of dysfunction in a family. The other one becomes resolved to break the cycle and to learn how to be the kind of parent that God would want them to be and changes the destiny of their entire legacy. What makes a difference like that? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what causes one person to go through something and and just become the most amazing picture of the nobility of humanity? And what causes the other person to just let that thing drag them into the worst version of themselves? Well, I thought about that a lot this week. And in reference to what we're going to talk about this week, I think it comes back to this thing that we call character. Character. Now, Now, character is a funny thing. You only know you have character if it gets tested under pressure, right? You can say you have character. You can have a character slogan on your wall. But at the end of the day, character is tested when, as they say, you're all alone and life gets real. Now, the thing about character is character is born from choices, making certain choices at key times, making hard choices at key times. Am I going to do the right thing? I'm going to do the wrong thing. Am I going to try to to get away with it? I'm going to try to own the responsibility of it. And, And we can find all kinds of other ways to do it. Now, here's the thing about those characters, and this is where we get to what we want to talk about today. Those those choices that, that are either good or bad actually, it seems to me, are born from perspective. That is to say, the perspective that we have can very often cause us to do a a thing, to make a choice, to embrace an attitude, to, to adopt a pattern of behavior that is either destructive, unhealthy, broken, or one that is life giving to yourself and to those who are around you. Character is something that needs to be tested. Now, this is all part of this series we're in called Coping, and we found this amazing definition of coping, which I want to share with you again, uh, because all of you are here. That means you're coping. means you're functioning. You're doing some good stuff. But let's go ahead and look at this definition. It, it, it says to, to deal effectively with something difficult or to face with responsibilities, problems, or difficulties, especially successful in a calm and adequate manner. That's a pretty good definition of character, actually. The word cope comes to us through the old English word that is derived from Latin, which means to receive or take a blow with a fist or to do well in a fight. And so to cope means that you, in life throws a punch at you, you cope with it. You have found a way to actually go through it well. Last week, we talked deeply about a sucker punch and that life will throw sucker punches at us. And what makes a sucker punch a sucker punch, I won't read the definition uh, this week. You can go back last week and listen to it if you want to. Um, is that a sucker punch comes at the wrong time, 
It comes in areas that we are uniquely vulnerable, and your vulnerabilities may be different than mine. That it comes in waves, that is to say, that usually comes, you know, sickness, comes marriage problems, comes finances problems, it all kinds of comes together, and, and, and that they always seem worse when it seems like everybody around you is, is prospering and doing great. And, and one of the biggest problems that keeps us from really dealing with sucker punches is our embarrassment because we feel like we should be doing better than we are, causes us to hide and to isolate. And, 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 and we said about these things of, of the sucker punch, of these things of, of difficult times, we shouldn't be surprised, because we looked, of course, at this verse, this promise of Jesus, where he said, I've said these things to you, that you might have peace and order and calm in your life, because in this world there's going to be some chaos. There's going to be some serious chaos. There's going to be some tribulations. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, now this weekend, what I want to do is I want to start challenging our perspective about this. Because our perspective is going to determine the choices we make. It'll, it'll, another way of saying it, it'll determine what we set our heart on. And when we, we set our heart on the wrong thing, we make bad choices, and, and ultimately that leads us to a point where our character starts to, to wither away, and we won't cope very well in this life. In fact, the passage of Scripture uh, we're going to look at today, I just think it's one of the most central passages about having the right perspective of this thing of going through trials or chaos or suffering or grief. And if you don't have this perspective as a Christian, you're not going to do very well. I mean, you may be able to shore it up. You may be able to come up with some patterns and behaviors. But if the message of this passage of Scripture doesn't do its work in your life, well, you're going to miss uh, something very profound. This has been a very, very important passage of Scripture in my life. So for uh, an, over a, a, a year, during a very difficult time of my life, um, I quoted this passage of Scripture three and four times a day as part of my, my prayer, spiritual, spiritual activities. And, and, and it became just something that sank into my heart and truly did uh, change and even solidify my behavior. Now, the passage is in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And, and it is the perspective that we should have when we come to this thing of trials and suffering. So take a look. It says this. He starts out with worship. And isn't worship an amazing way to cope? Isn't it an amazing way? Because worship gives us God's perspective. It helps us see God. And he starts with worship. Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. Now, it's important for you to understand this. You need mercy. And one of the reasons people have trouble coping is they don't believe that. Uh, one of the things we're going to do over these next couple of weeks, and we're actually going to spend a lot of time blowing this up this fall, is a great myth in our society. And here's the myth, that people are basically good. And if they're basically good and nothing bad happens to them, we can expect good things from them. Well, here's the truth, just from the word of God and just the evidence of our eyes will tell us this. The natural condition of people is selfishness. That's just the truth. And, and here's the truth. It's certainly true of me, and it's true of you. It's true, by the way, of your kids, too. And, and if you don't understand that about your kids, you actually have the potential to be a little bit of a dangerous parent. Because if you think, oh, my child's good, and if I just do good things and be kind to him, he's going to turn out to be a really sweet, kind, lovable person. <laughs> That's a formula for raising a monster. Raising someone who is actually selfish and self-absorbed, someone who is actually all about themselves, someone who will go through life thinking they're great, not owning their, their mistakes, not living up to their responsibility, not being fit to be in relationships so they become isolated. 
And, and this is a person who will need to be taught to turn away from their selfishness, to be taught to be turned away from their, their selfishness and, and their sin in such a way. See, here's the deal. Our natural state is selfishness. But here's the cool thing, is that when you see a person turning away from their selfishness and actually doing good, it is a remarkable thing. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. And it takes the mercy of God. And so if you don't recognize what a, a complete just debtor you are to the mercy of God, then you're not going to have the right perspective about life. Because you're going to go through your suffering feeling like something wrong has been done to you. That somehow or another you're entitled to not have to struggle or not have to strive. But the thing is, is at the end of the day, not the, not, not the reason that there's suffering in this world is this thing called sin. And we're all in this thing together. We're in need of mercy. He goes on from there. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. So God has given us another chance. He, he's taken the dead and he's made it alive. He's given us a new birth. He's caused us, the Bible says, to be born again. And he's given us a living, active, alive hope. That is to say that there is something in my future that is worth living for, that is worth fighting for, that is worth doing good things for. And because I've received mercy, that can become my reality. It is a living hope in the most beautiful way. He says this, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's simply this. It's that that because Jesus lived, died on the cross, rose from the dead, that becomes a down payment on my resurrection. That because Jesus rose from the dead, and I'm a follower of Jesus, one day when this life is over, there is a resurrection in my future. There is a new beginning in my future. There is a reality in my future that is better than anything I could satisfy, be satisfied here, is more real, is more satisfying, will never get old or boring. That is my destiny. And listen, if that is not your perspective... You're not going to cope well. And if you call yourself a Christian and your perspective is that the hope is found in some way or something in this life, prepare for disappointment. Because it was never intended. It was never promised that way. This is wonderfully, gloriously liberating. He says that we have been given this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at verse 4. And look at this. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. You have an inheritance in your future. You have something that's being put away. God is delaying the gratification for a reality. And anything you see in this life, no matter how good, is just a vapor or a shadow of the reality that is waiting for you. And if that is not your perspective, get ready for disappointment. Because this life is going to be just so disappointed. Do you watch the, 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 the renovation shows? You know, the ones where they go into an old house, they fix it up. I, I watch a, a bunch of them. I like the one where they do a log cabin, because like that on water is like, oh. And I watch, oh, it's cool. Look at that. And I watch the ones where they make pools. Anybody seen the one where they make pools? They make tree houses I want to live in. And we see that one? And they build these incredible things, they renovate them, and they make them amazing. And, and I just look at that and say, oh, I want to live there. Why can't I live there? But here's the truth about the reality if I got to live there. Eventually, I'd be in my mountain cabin on the perfect lake, coming home from fishing, sitting in my pool, and I would say, I'm not satisfied. Because, thank God, there is nothing that satisfies in this earth. But that's okay, because I got an inheritance 
that's never going to perish, spoil, or fade. And so anything I have here, I should be willing to let go. Anything I I think that's so important here, oh my goodness, I I should just recognize that it could be a trap. And any disappointment that I've set my heart on, because some of you have set your heart on a disappointment. You're focused so many of your years on things you can't have. What a waste of time. It tears you away from what is being waste. You know, I can just imagine going up into heaven and God showing me the best log cabin and the best lake with the best pool and just the most everything and just, you know what, St. Croix rods, the whole deal, everything is beautiful. Right, guys? St. Croix, right? I had the whole thing, right? And he said, you know what, Paul? You almost settled for that. You almost said that's good enough. You almost said that thing you couldn't keep anyway. You almost said that thing that ultimately just made you long for something else. This thing that actually could not say, you almost settled for that. Look where you're at. And, and, and Paul, the apostle Paul, when he saw it, he said, I haven't got words. I, I, there's not a song. There, there, there's nothing that I can describe. The reality that's waiting. And we should get chills when we think about what's waiting for us. And it should, it should separate our heart from the things. And it should put our suffering in perspective, and that's exactly what Paul says. He says, you got something that's never going to give up on you. You know, one thing you'll never experience in heaven is boredom. Dissatisfaction. You'll never wonder, what does this mean? Why does it matter? You will never have that experience. In this life, it comes by the truckload. But that's the gift. Because the gift is that this life doesn't satisfy. It creates longing, and that longing is supposed to point you home. Thank God that God has never let you be satisfied in anything in this earth. And if you are satisfied in something in this earth, I feel sorry for you. Because that actually may be a judgment on you that, wow, it, it's heartbreaking. Verse 5. He says, now, now we've been given this inheritance, and it's been given to those um, um, that can never perish for a kept in heaven for you. Look at this. Who's it for? Who through faith. It's given to those ones who through faith. And so how do you access this inheritance? You put your faith in the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so how do you access it? Faith. So here, let me ask you a question. How important is faith? Well, it's everything, right? I mean, it's everything. I mean, if you don't have faith, you don't have inheritance. If you have faith in some other thing here on life, you don't have faith in the living God. If your faith is in something other than that, that you don't really believe that there's an inheritance, you don't really believe that Christ. So how important is your faith? It's pretty important. So don't you think that faith should get tested? proven genuine. I mean, you're counting on this for eternity. Look what it says. He says, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, so that faith puts life in perspective here. It shields you, not only for this life, but it it prepares you for the next life. He says, but it's everything. It it just changes everything. Look at verse 6. He says, in this faith you greatly rejoice, although, look at this now, For a little while. Everybody say, a little while. Because here's the deal. No matter what you're going through, in light of eternity, it's a little while. And I know you, and you tell me what you're going through. And I know, and I've gone through some stuff. It doesn't feel like a little while at 3 in the morning. I get it. I get it. But here's the perspective that you must have to cope well as a Christian. That whatever we go through, it's a little while. Paul says, a light and temporary struggle. Jesus said, whatever you give up in my name, land, family, whatever, it's nothing compared to what's waiting for you. And for a little while, look at this, you may have to suffer. Another promise. Grief and, and all kinds of trials. 
I mean, he doesn't water it down. He doesn't make it sound soft. He says, you'll be fine. You don't have to worry about it. He doesn't say, if you learn to pray a special way, that as a Christian, you'll get a spiritual force field and these things won't touch you. He doesn't say, you know, if you just learn how to lame it and claim it, you give to the right guy in the right way. If you pray harder, do more, then none of this is good. He promises that this is going to come in our life. And he says this. He says, it's actually a gift. Look at this. He says, these come. Look at this, verse 7. Why do these come? He answers it, verse 7. These have come so that your faith. And again, how important is your faith? It's everything. If you don't have faith, you don't have hope. If you don't have faith, or you have weak faith or counterfeit faith, it's just going to disappoint you, and, and it's, it's not going to help you code. He says, your faith, look at this, which is of greater worth than gold. Your faith is more important what you own, where you live, what you insure, what you think about. It is the most important thing, which is of greater worth than gold. Gold, by the way, which perishes. But at the end of the day, it's going to mean nothing. The Bible is very clear. If you're living for wealth, gold, if you're living for any earthly stuff, you know what the Bible calls you? A fool. That's what, and it's not even hard math. A little bit of unsatisfying things for a time are eternal satisfaction. It's not even hard math. I mean, it's first grader math. Do you want this big pile of good stuff, little kid? Do you want this little pile of not so good stuff? Your choice. It's not hard math. He says what is greater worth than gold, he says, even though we're trying to fire, he says that your faith that is worth more than gold may be proved genuine. That implies that there is a faith that is phony. Right? There's a faith. Talk about fake news. Fake faith. So what is fake faith? Fake faith is the kind of faith that is only good when you don't need it. Have you ever thought about that? It's the kind of faith that shows up when you've got plenty of money, Kids are doing great, really healthy. You know, you got the job you want, got the spouse you want. Things are pretty good, you know. I happened to me once for about two seconds on a Tuesday. It's all perfect. Then the phone rang. Anyway, the thing is, it's that faith that looks good at church. It's that faith that, you know, I'm going to have it. Listen now. I'm going to have that kind of faith. Listen now. To protect this life. And as long as that faith protects this life, and my kids right now, and my bank account right now, and my home right now, I will have that faith. But the minute you take away what I really want today, well, that faith just becomes, why, and where are you, and what's going on, and uh, when your perspective is, please hear me, that this life is what matters, you're just, you're not going to cope well. And that's not Christian faith. That is fake faith. So how do you find out if your faith is real? Well, he just said it gets tested. You go through a trial, you go through a loss, you go through a sickness, something happens to your kid, someone you love has to go through suffering, and you have to sit there and watch it. Something you thought you couldn't, have to, you couldn't live without, all of a sudden you have to live without it. And then your faith becomes either, wow, real, or it becomes something that melts in the sun, and it becomes replaced with panic and control and bitterness and resentment and all the other kinds of things like that. Now, please don't get me wrong. When life hits, I dabble around in panic, fear, anger, although I get that. But at the end of the day, what settles back in is there is a God who knows my name. And he has sent his son to die for me. And my faith and trust was never in anything I had here. It's what he did so I can go where he is. And the thing that he has promised me is that there is an inheritance for me. He has been working on it for 2,000 years. I think it's going to be pretty nice. Seven days he built the earth. 2,000 years he's been working on that. 
Think about that. He, he, Jesus said, listen, let not your heart be troubled. He said, you trust God, trust me too. That's faith question. You're going to trust me? He says, trust me too. He says, my father's house, there's so many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to all that effort to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back to take you to be where I am. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. See, 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 we need to understand this perspective. See, our perspective is, again, my faith is meant to shield me and protect me and, and give me this life, not the life that truly matters. Now, he goes on. He doesn't stop there because this is one of the indications of whether or not your faith is actually real. He, 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 says, he says, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, verse 7. These have come so that your faith, which is greater with gold, which perishes, even though refined with fire, will be proved genuine. Look at this. And may result... And glory, honor, and praise when Christ Jesus is real. The kind of faith that sees past the broken and says, God, I praise you. And I go back to worship. And when you revealed all of this suffering, you know what? It's just gone. Now, here's the deal. People who have Christ, the worst moments of this life are going to be the worst thing they've ever experienced. And it's all uphill from there. People who don't have Christ, the best moments of this life is the best they'll ever experience. Everything's downhill after that. And so, so that just results in praise. Father, look what you took me through. God, look what you've done. Thank you that you took away something I was tempted to have satisfaction in in this life because you loved me so much you couldn't leave me to my own devices. See, that's a mercy. That's a grace. Look what he goes on to say. He goes on to say, he says, um, verse 8, and this is what just becomes so beautiful. This is when God gets real. God doesn't get real when the sun is shining, wind's at your back. He gets real when life gets real. <laughs> He says, then now, to the people who have suffered, he said, though you have not yet seen him, you love him. I fall in love with Jesus because of who he is with me when life's falling apart. Uh, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And the fruit of that is that you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I remember the first time I deeply meditated on that verse, and I was going through a very difficult time. I was thinking, Lord Jesus... You're so real to me. And Jesus, I, I feel this love for you in spite of the fear and the anxiety and the pain. And, and Lord Jesus, I believe in you. And, and what welled up inside of me is this incredible joy because it said to me that because that is real, these difficulties in my life are doing their work through faith. That the faith that I'm counting on is genuine. And I can count on it. And not only, listen, not only does that give me incredible hope and joy for what is to come, it prize my heart away from anything in this life that I would be tempted to find satisfaction in. It helps me to understand that at the end of the day, this all goes away. I can't keep it. And even if I got it all, even if I got exactly what I thought I wanted, even the best of the best, I'd be sitting in my pool down someday saying, this doesn't satisfy. Because it was never meant to satisfy. The things of this world were meant to create longing so that we would look towards home. See, this is the perspective that gives us the ability to cope, that gets us the ability in difficult times to make choices to turn to God instead of blaming God, to get the idea, say, you know, I'm going to do behaviors and practices, and I'm going to learn to pray in such a way in difficulty, you know, in the, in the dark times, rather than, than turning to things like alcohol and selfishness and immorality. It's going to say, you know what, I'm going to delay temporary comfort of gratification for an internal inheritance. It causes me to to, to not set my heart on this life, but on the life to come. He goes on, again, just just in verse 8. It says, you have seen him, you love him, even though 
uh, you have not seen him now. You believe in him. Look at this. It's filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. I've, I've tasted that. And I would have never tasted it in my life if I hadn't gone through trial, suffering, and difficulties. I would have never tasted it. I would have been satisfied in some other thing. I would have been full on that other foolishness that so let me down. And, and you know what that joy is, if you've tasted? It's, it's a foretaste of heaven. It's a foretaste of our eternal condition of forever being in awe and surprised and satisfied. It's most glorious. He says, verse 9, for you receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And when you go through trials like that in faith, you can feel your soul being saved. You can feel your faith growing. You can feel an assurance that comes, that carries you in a way that that prayer becomes just, your, your language becomes your breath in the most glorious, glorious way. And I want to summarize this by just giving you some points, just some truths from this scripture. And, and, and it's simply these. It's, it's that faith is a shield in this life. Not because it guarantees nothing will happen in this life, but it pries us away from this life so that the things we lose can't devastate us anymore. Because anything we lose is nothing to compared to where we're going. The other thing we just need to understand is that if faith is we've got to count on it, it needs to be tested and perfected. That is to say, it needs to be proven genuine. And that only happens with griefs and trials and losses. And, 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 and that's just the way that it works. And, and again, I mentioned being a parent before. This is why it's so important that we break away from the lie of this world and we let our children struggle. You must let your children have the dignity of their struggle. Because if you don't let them struggle when they're with you, when they get out in the world and they will struggle, they will feel disappointed, disillusioned. They will have no character to overcome. And so you must. They will become self-absorbed people who really are not, you know, fit to be in society, let alone have a relationship. They'll be isolated and alone. And so if you're big things. I never want them to hurt. I never want them to be disappointed. I never want them to say, I never allow anybody to say anything to them that's going to make them feel bad. You are doing them a profound disservice. I found a wonderful quote this week. That the wonderful quote this week. The key to growth and maturity is being exposed to things that make you feel uncomfortable. Let me say that again. That the key to growth and maturity is being exposed to things that make you feel uncomfortable. And so faith needs to be tested, perfected. Trial, and that's thing I would just say is that trials and grief prove the genuineness of your faith. Again, if faith is only good when you don't need it, it's fake faith. If it's only for show at church, if it, if it doesn't have any vitality, if it's not robust, if it's not real, if in times of trouble you're not running back to these these, these main things of who Jesus is and who you are because of Jesus and where you're ultimately going to go, well, then you're just going to be very disappointed. The other thing I just want to say, and I just want to say it, and I just want to say it, and, and I want to say it to some of us who are going through just very difficult times, it's been for you in your mind a long time, is that suffering is a little while in light of eternity. Suffering is a little while in light of eternity. The next thing I just want to say is our inheritance in heaven can never perish, spoil, or fade. Again, some things you will never experience in heaven. Think about this. Disappointment. You won't be satisfied. You'll wonder, why does it mean? Why does it matter? Heaven is full of that. It is the place where you were created to be. The reason it doesn't feel right here is you don't belong here. You're a stranger, the Bible says, passing through. Paul says we're we're aliens living in spiritual tents on our way to our eternal home. And and so it's not supposed to be satisfying here, and our inheritance is ultimately satisfying. 
And the last thing I would say is that trials and grief through faith cause us to know, love, and experience Jesus in deeper, more real ways than we could ever, ever imagine. And this message, this theme is repeated over and over and over and over again within the scriptures. Let me share one more verse of scripture that is just, again, a life verse for me. It's from James chapter 1, verse 2. If you're looking for a step to take, this might be a good one to memorize. He says, consider it pure joy. That is to say, consider this as an opportunity of joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of various kinds. He says, because we know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That is to say, going through a little thing prepares us to go through a big thing, prepares us to go through a bigger thing. Again, this is why kids need to be able to handle some things on their own, little things, so that they can face, you know, lost my job kind of thing. And, and so, so, so because the sin of faith produces perseverance, perseverance, look at this, has work to do in you. And it must finish its work in you so that you might be a grown-up, a mature, a person of character. Look at this, complete and not lacking anything. He says there's an opportunity in every trial, in every difficulty, in every struggle. And, and I know some of you are going through things that it's really hard to see that right now. But, but the truth is, is that in every aspect, there's an opportunity to say, God, I can go this way, full of rage and disappointment, or I can say, God, I'm going your way. And there'll be days it won't make sense. There'll be days you may jump back and forth. But at the end of the day, what we have before us is so much more than, than anything, anything that we think we have lost here. You know, I, I um, was listening to some worship music in my office a while back, and a song came up, and it was a remake of a song that's actually been part of my, 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 my life since I was a childhood, but some, some wonderful artist, Shane and Shane, had brought it back. And it's a song that a lot of you are going to know, and it'll be familiar to you because you've heard it a lot at funerals. Okay? Because it's a song that puts into perspective that whatever's lost and whatever disappointment we have in the person who's gone that because they're in faith, you know, they will be raised up. And, and because they'll be raised up, it fills us with hope for them and then hope for us. And, and if you ever looked up the song, it's almost word for word from Psalms 91. It is a song of hope and a song of faith and a song of inspiration. I'm going to invite the team to come on out, and they're going to sing this song. And as you hear this song, just let the words of the song just be a, 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 a healy balm over your heart a healing comfort over just your spirit. May, may it just be a reminder of someday you will be brought home. Let me say a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that in my life and in so many of our people's lives, this life has not been satisfying. That although there's good things and there's things to celebrate and there are things we enjoy and we live well and that's all fine, but at the end of the day, This life does not bring satisfaction. Thank you for the times where we think we were going to get everything we wanted and we got it and it just was not enough. Father, I thank you because it reminds us that this life is just a shadow of the reality waiting for us. It reminds us that what's waiting for us is so much more than than anything that could be lost in this life. And so, Father, I would pray that as we go through this life trying to cope with with grief and trials and difficulties, we would cope well. We we would keep a sense of peace and calm because of the joy we have knowing that we have you, that we are are your children, that we are children of God and you are God Almighty and that you prepare a place for us. And one day in Christ, with you, we will be raised up.